If you have your notes, I want to encourage you to take out this green note page and write this down. Never underestimate the power of a thought. Let's start there. Never underestimate the power of a thought. A couple weeks ago, we took a number of our leaders to a development event. And there was this speaker, and he gave this great talk called SOAR. Called SOAR. And in his talk, he invited us to consider the power of a thought like the Wright brothers had. When they were working in a bicycle shop. And they started thinking, what if we could create a machine that could fly? It was so cool. We've got the kids in here with us. One kid in the 915 is like, cool. He's like, he's all excited about that. Imagine that. Think what it took to be working in a bicycle shop and to have this thought come in your head. What if we, not somebody, what if we could build a machine that could fly? The Wright brothers started to think differently than other people around them. And those thoughts made a big difference. And here's the thing about thoughts. There's a place to write this in your notes too. Sustained thinking is a thought amplifier. Sustained thinking is a thought amplifier. One of the things we talked about in week two of this series is how our thoughts physically change our brains. When we think about the same thing over and over and over again, there are neurological pathways that are formed. There is actual stuff in our brains that changes when we think. Um, One of our counselors came up afterwards. He said, Chris, maybe this is helpful. He said, it's like this. You know, a bike path that isn't paved. If you're riding on that bike path down the same place over and over again, you begin to create this rut for your tire. And when you go on that that same bike path, that same spot over and over again, it's almost like you can't get out of it without a lot of effort. And so for positive or for negative, that's what happens when we take our thoughts and we go down the same path over and over and over again. It is like having not just a bike path, it's like having a rut in that bike path. That's what it's like. Well, I came across a great example of the difference that thinking can make in our lives in a book that I read this spring. Now, we're going to go back into ancient history, 2008. I I know, I know. Um, I know, wow, I know. So go there with me. Here we go. Um, Anyone recognize this guy? What's his name? Shout out if you know it. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. Now, around Michael Phelps' neck, those aren't participation ribbons, right? He didn't get those for showing up. He won gold medals. He was the best in the world in multiple events. Michael Phelps is the greatest swimmer of all time. And a book called The Power of Habit provides a fascinating glimpse into how Michael Phelps mentally prepared for races and the difference that his mental preparation made on August 13th, 2008. We actually have some footage from this race. When Michael Phelps' alarm went off that morning, Phelps crawled out of his bed in the Olympic Village in Beijing, and he started his routine. And his routine would always start in his head. He did this thing that his coach would say, he called playing the video. And so when he would wake up, he would always play the video of the perfect race. He would visualize himself getting ready, his pre-race routine. He'd visualize himself diving into the water, every stroke, every turn, every breath. He would, he would lock that into his head, what the perfect race felt like. And then he would get up on race day and get up to the rest of his routine. He'd eat the breakfast he always ate. He'd stretch the way he's always stretched. He warmed up the way he always warmed up. He put on his headphones. He listened to the songs that he always listened to before every race. 
And Phelps' first event that particular day was a 200-meter butterfly. Look how happy everybody is to see him go. And so when the announcer said his name, Phelps stepped up onto the block. He swung his arms three times, just as he had done every race since he was 12 years old. He got into his stance. When the gun went off, he went into the water. He dived in, and then it happened. Some of you know what happened. His goggles broke. When he dived in, his goggles broke. And he began to fill with water. And this wasn't just a trading race. This is the Olympic final. It happens only once every four years. It sometimes comes down to the hundredth of a second. And as Phelps is in this race, by the second turn, everything was blurry. By the third turn, he was swimming blind. He couldn't see. All right. What would that do for your anxiety level? <laughs> but Phelps, able to keep calm and swim on. Because his thoughts went down those pathways that he had developed in his brain. Pathways that most people never take the time to develop. And when Phelps finished the race and he touched the wall and he ripped off those broken goggles, he was able to see the scoreboard. And on the scoreboard, there were two letters, W-R, which stand for what? World record. He set a world record. So a reporter came up to him after the race and said, could you describe what it felt like to swim by faith and not by sight? My word's not his. <laughs> well, Phelps replied, listen to this. These are his words now. Phelps replied, it felt like I imagined it would. He had already swam that race hundreds of times. Every inch of it. And Phelps was ready for that broken goggle moment with a show of hands how many of you know that life is filled with broken goggle moments <laughs> you see all those hands right that is life isn't it broken goggle moments well today what we're going to do is we're going to look at another real life situation we're going to have to go even back farther in history 2000 years but this is real life and this time the stakes are even higher the event we're going to look at is something that happened to a man named Paul. And I'm not saying this to be trite. I'm not saying this to be cliche. Paul was the Michael Phelps of adversity. Can I get an amen to that? Those of you who know Paul's life, he was. He was the Michael Phelps of adversity. If they handed out gold medals for a faith that could not be extinguished, Paul would have a whole bunch of those. I can't think of anyone that had more. Paul is the author of a first century letter that we've been digging into on this series about anxiety that we've been digging into here over the last several weeks. And in his letter to the Philippians, he provides this insight into what was going on in his head, how Paul approached the challenges that he faced. And throughout this series, one of the key sections of, of Philippians, we've encouraged people to, to memorize, to to. to put in our heads and in our hearts is this section right here on the back of your notes. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I want to zero in on a really small part of that right now. 4, 8 says this. This is where Paul's mind would go when he was in those broken goggle moments. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Paul wrote these words from prison to believers living in a city called Philippi. It's a city that Paul had visited before. And when he did, when he visited that city, he found himself in a broken goggle situation that looked like it was going to cost him his life. I referenced this event, I think at least a couple times earlier in the series, but we've never really dived into it. Let's dive into it now. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2 to start with here. And I want to let you know as you're looking this up, if you do have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to have you go home with one free today. Each and every week we keep a stack there at that table where the mailbox is. We encourage you to to take one home as our gift to you. Here we go. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, jumping down to verse 6. And they, this party, um, went through the region of a place that starts with P and Galatia. Having been forbidden. I, okay, that won't be the first one. I'm not even going to try to pronounce. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm, I'm going to miss about 75% of these towns. I'm not even going to try. I was gone the day at seminary where they evidently had taught you how to <laughs> pronounce Mediterranean coastal cities. And uh, rather than try to impress you by doing a fresher... Last night, I thought, I'm taking my family to the fair. They're going to win every time, just so you know. All right, here we go. So this place starts with P in Galatia, have been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, remember that part, though, to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to a place that starts with M, they attempted to go to a place that starts with B, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by that city that starts with M, they went down to Troas, and the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I'm sure those cities were all important. But here's the thing that I really know. I really know it's important for us to note right now that Paul and his companions, they were planning to go to Asia. They were planning to go to Asia. And who redirected them to go to this region of Macedonia where Philippi is? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit redirected them. They were planning to go one way. They sensed the Holy Spirit redirecting them to go to this place where things didn't go the way most of us would say this is going well. So remember, that was the Holy Spirit. What we're going to see as this event unfolds is sometimes the most powerful testimonies that we can give aren't the ones that are a result of our words. They're how we respond to broken goggle situations. All right, here we go. Picking up with verses 11 through 12. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to that place and then the following day to that other place and there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in Philippi for some days. All right, before we keep reading, I want us to focus on this piece for a bit. There's a place in your notes to write this down. We're going to look at today our three praiseworthy thinking generators. I didn't know what else to call these things. But there's three things that pop out of this text that I see Paul doing and applying. 
And if we want to get the kind of thinking that he had to practice the kind of things that he did, makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that he did is he received the Holy Spirit and he followed the Holy Spirit. There's a place to write that in your notes. If you want to have praiseworthy thinking in your mind, receive and follow the Spirit is where it begins. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his death, the word says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And we see this Holy Spirit at work in the book of Acts. We also see the Holy Spirit at work in a book that Luke, who's the author of Acts, wrote before he wrote Acts. Does anyone know what Luke's book before he wrote Acts is called? Luke, he was so smart. This is a brilliant, brilliant group. Look at, now let's look at what Luke says about the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life before we see what it looks like in Paul's life. In Jesus' life, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, we read this. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And isn't this often the kind of experience that we associate with the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit comes like a dove. The heavens open. God is saying all these kind and reassuring words. How many of you know what comes next? What the Holy Spirit does next? Right after Luke's 23andMe report on Jesus' ancestors, Luke records this. It comes right after that genealogy. Picking up chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. And Jesus, full of the what? The Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. And he was led by the who? The Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days where he was what? Tempted by the devil. Who led Jesus to the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. What happened in the wilderness? He was tempted by the devil. Did the Holy Spirit know Jesus was going to be tempted by the, by the devil? In the wilderness, yes. Will the Holy Spirit ever allow our faith to be tested? Yeah, the Holy Spirit will. Whether it is directly God directly testing us or whether it's God allowing us to go through a test. The Holy Spirit will allow us to be tested. And how important is that? Because how do we even know where our faith is really at unless it's tempted, tested? God knows. It's not like God is going to go, okay, I want to see how you do in this test. Is it for God? No, he already knows. Who's it for? It's for us and it's for the world. So we know where our faith is really at. And how many of you also know, if you're not tested, you rarely are growing, right? The Holy Spirit will allow us to be tested and sometimes even lead us to that place of testing. There's a woman who recently discovered she was capable of far more than she ever imagined. Anyone recognize this woman? She was in the news. I think this week. It was this week. Anyone recognize that face? The woman's name is Kay, Kay Longstaff. And some say she jumped off a cruise ship. She says she fell off a cruise ship. What everyone agrees on is she was on a a cruise ship, and she ended up in the water. Everyone agrees on that. Everyone also agrees she was alone in the Adriatic Sea for 10 hours. 10 hours before she was rescued. The experts are saying one of the things that kept Kay alive was the way that she was able to focus her thoughts. 
Imagine this. Imagine if when she hits the water, her thoughts went to scenes from Jaws or the Meg, right? That's where your thoughts would go? Okay, so imagine you're not going to last if you're all, I'm going to not make it. For the sake of the kids, I'm adjusting my language, right? So, yes, she, she hits water. And, and they said that one of the things that they credited her with is the way she was able to focus her thoughts. She was a yoga person, and she said yoga had taught her and trained her to how to keep calm, how to focus. Now, I'm not advocating for yoga. That's not my point. My point is this. If yoga can help you focus your thoughts for 10 hours in the Adriatic Sea, how much more could the Holy Spirit help us focus our thoughts in a broken goggle moment? We can disagree about yoga. Imagine if the Holy Spirit could be that much a part of our lives where when we hit that water, our thoughts went to, okay, God is with me in this moment. And then going back to where this whole train of thought left the rails, how do we really even know or even grow our faith if our faith is never tested? It is so easy for me to forget that. When my own broken goggle moments come, it is so easy to forget that this is an opportunity to actually see where my faith really is. It's also an opportunity for me to grow in my faith. The same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness also led Paul to Philippi. Let's go back now to Acts. Because we've already seen that, right? It was the Holy Spirit that led him there. And at first, when Paul gets there, it's all rainbows and unicorns. Let's go to verse 13. Here we go. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside. Can you picture this? Birds are singing and the flowers are all pretty. All right, where we were supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of there. And she was a seller of purple goods. And she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she was baptized in her whole household as well. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Roll credits, right? There's the Holy Spirit leading them to Philippi where they witnessed to this woman at the, at the, in this riverside setting and she comes to faith and she's baptized and her whole family's baptized. So what would you do the next day? I'd go back down to that riverside, right? To that place of prayer. That's what Paul does too. But it's not all rainbows and unicorns. Next, let's take a look. Verse 16, very next verse. As we were going to the place of prayer, does that sound at all familiar? We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and was brought by her owners oh, and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And as she kept doing this for many days, Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Pause. I love how honest the Bible is. I love it. Love it. They don't go, Paul, filled with compassion for this woman who God or the devil had kept bound for all this time. Paul, who just was so wonder, so glad to have her proclaiming the praise of God. It's like Paul, who was greatly annoyed, said, as enough is enough. 
And he turned to and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Okay, now isn't this where the rainbows and unicorns should pick back up? Now the slave girl comes to faith and she gets baptized in her whole household. Is that what happened? No. Look what happens next. But when her owners, and how sad is that? I hope you guys can be here this fall. We're going to be pressing into the book of Amos. We're going to take human trafficking head on. When her owners... Those words should just, yeah, all right, we'll get, we'll get there when the kids aren't with us. When her owners, where was I? When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And what did Paul do in that broken goggle moment? When he thought, I am where I'm supposed to be. Holy Spirit, you led me here. I'm going to the place of prayer. And yeah, my motivation might have been a little off. But I cast a demon out of that girl. And now I'm in prison. We don't read anything like that. If his mind went there, it didn't go there long. Because here's what we see in his actions. Acts 16, 25. This is the very next verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. They probably had never seen this before. When Michael Phelps prepared for his races, when Kay Longstaff found herself alone in the ocean, one of the things that both of those individuals practiced was songs. Songs. I invite you to write down this in your notes. If you want to have a mind that generates praiseworthy thoughts, especially when you need them the most. Receive and follow the Spirit. And number two, choose your soundtrack carefully. Can I get an amen to that? Oh, I was talking to Phil, one of our guitarists, before the service. And we were talking about music and how powerful music is. And I love his word choices. He says, respect music. Isn't that beautiful? Respect music. Music is so powerful. Respect music. You aren't going to find anyone who could process anxious thoughts better than Paul unless you look to Jesus himself. And Paul instructs us to focus our minds on whatever is true and whatever is honorable and whatever is just and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable. Paul goes on to say if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Someday I want to circle back to Philippians 4, 8. I want to do a series called Whatever, where we really press into whatever and its connection to media. Because most of us, this isn't how we do our whatevers. We don't choose whatever is true, praiseworthy. Most of us, it's just whatever. 
when it comes to our music, when it comes to our media, when it comes to what we consume. For most of us, it's whatever is entertaining. For most of us, it's whatever is trending. For most of us, it's whatever is drawing my attention at the time. And those who are studying the impacts of those habits on our lives are screaming at the top of their lungs. They're screaming, this is not healthy. Counselors, medical community, pastors, we're all in one voice on this. It's not healthy to have a whatever approach to media. If you want to do one thing that can make a big difference in your life when it comes to anxiety, choosing your media carefully and the amount of it, it could make a huge difference in your life. When Paul found himself in his broken goggle moment, he turned to songs. And not just any songs. He turned to songs that focused on the one who is true and is honorable and is just and is pure and is excellent and is worthy of praise. He didn't just know that those songs exist. He didn't just kind of sit on the sidelines with them. He engaged them. You know, and, and I think about our family at the fair uh, yesterday. In fact, we ran into a bunch of you guys there. It was awesome. It's one thing to know about the best fair food. It's another to engage it. Can I get an amen? To engage, to engage the best fair food is very different. It is one thing to go through life believing that sunsets are beautiful. But if you've ever been on one of our West Coasts, what happens right around sunset? People gravitate towards that ocean, don't they? Because it's one thing to believe that sunsets are beautiful. It's another thing to soak a sunset in. It's one thing to believe that it'd be cool to go and bring clean water to a village that never had clean water. It's another thing to be a part of the team that brings water to those who've never had clean water. Why do we sing the songs we sing at this church? Why do we not have a band that gets up here and tries to entertain you? We want to engage these songs. We want to respect music because it's powerful. It's powerful. If you want to have praiseworthy thoughts, one of the best things you can do is to choose your soundtrack carefully and savor the songs. Engage God in them. All right, let's go back to our text. Picking up with verse 25, where we left off about midnight. Paul and Cyrus, Silas are praying. They're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaking and uh, shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Was Paul singing after that or before that? Before that. And actually kind of a trick question because I'm going to guess he was singing it before and after which then was a before the next broken goggle moment. Ah! Before I wrecked Jason's microphone, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Music is powerful. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to harm himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, 
do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sounded all like a vision that the Holy Spirit had given Paul about a man from Macedonia who cried out, help us. Wow. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You might have noticed a couple bold, highlighted words and phrases since we've been doing this. That's because I had never noticed those connections before. I had never noticed how the first section that we read about the rainbows and unicorns mirrors the one where it seems like everything's going south. They mirror each other. Are you kidding me? He goes to a place of prayer. He meets somebody and they come to faith. They believe and they are baptized. They and their household and their family. Two very similar things, two very different situations. May I present to you that God was just as present in the prison as he was at the riverside. Could it be that that's also true in your life as well? These are the kinds of things that when we read the word, we begin to see there are things in play that are bigger than us. That's why I want you to, I want to encourage you to write this down. Three praiseworthy thinking generators. One, receive and follow the spirit. Two, choose your soundtrack carefully. And number three, anchor to the scriptures. Anchor to the scriptures. I think one of the reasons so many people love the Psalms is the Psalms do all three of these, don't they? They are the inspired word of God. They were originally, most of them, set to music. And they are Scripture. But all Scripture is God-breathed. And Scripture, here's one thing Scripture does. One thing Scripture does is the cause of so much anxiety, not all anxiety, but the cause of so much anxiety is, am I making the right choice? Am I doing the right thing? One of the best ways where you can get a framework for what is the right thing, what is the next step, is in the Scriptures. And that's not all the Scriptures do. Something else happens when we read and reflect deeply on the Word of God. We're reminded that we're part of a story that is so much bigger than any of us. And in that story, we see a God who is faithful. He is faithful. He is a God who is always at work in us and through us, even when our eyes can't see. Several times in this series, we mentioned that Paul wrote Philippians from prison. Why could Paul write with such confidence from prison? Because he'd been in prison before, in Philippi. And he had seen God move mountains. In Philippi, God took something that the enemy intended for evil. He used that very situation to fulfill the vision that the Holy Spirit had given to Paul. The vision that we read earlier about a man from Macedonia who cried out for help. That man was the jailer and his family who wanted, who God wanted to set free. Does God want to set people free today? Yes. He wants to set people free today. God invites us to experience peace and hope and even joy in those moments when we follow the Spirit's leading and our goggles break. 
You know, I made a commitment to only give you stuff in this series that works. This series is way too important for me to just give you a bunch of theory that some people wrote about in these books. I want to give you stuff that works. How do I know that these things work? That receiving and following the Spirit, having these songs that are anchored in the Scriptures, how do I know this works? Because these things have worked in my life. And I, I want to encourage you to write this down, and I'm going to try to describe this thing that I just could not find the words for. I want to encourage you to write this down. Praiseworthy thoughts link our faith to God's faithfulness. Praiseworthy thoughts link our faith to God's faithfulness. I'm going to be very direct here. If your faith is in your finances, if your faith is in your job or the job you hope to have, if your faith is in your relationships, if your faith is in these things that can disappear like that, you should be anxious if your faith is there. But what if your faith didn't have to be there? What if your faith could be in the one who has proven his faithfulness? What if you could anchor your faith not in something that is fleeting and temporary and may or may not work out? What if you could anchor your faith in the one who we sing, great is your faithfulness? What if? And that brings to the, this, this encounter that I just, I, I'll do my best to describe. Okay, so we have a song that we're going to be closing with that I'd never heard before. And when I heard it, I'm like, this is a great song. And I started listening to it over and over and over again this week. And as I'm listening to this song over and over and over again this, this week, where it sings, you made a way when there was no way. And I believe you can do it again. I'm singing these words, and I'm going back to different moments in my life where I was at this place of, God, you brought me here, now what? Because I can't see what you're going to do. God, you allowed this thing to happen to me that I don't know why you allowed it to happen to me. I can't see how this is going to turn out well. You know, I've been in so many of those moments. And so many of those moments, there was a song associated with it. And I'm, I'm having this moment of remembering all these moments of God bringing me through and being there when it seemed like he wasn't. And having that experience of knowing in that moment, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know I'm not alone. I'm having that moment with this song, and I decide to look at my playlist, and I see, oh, this song, 250 times. Oh, this song, I listened to 300 times. This song, I listened to 400 times. And my mind connected all these dots of those moments when I was following the Holy Spirit as best I could. And things did not happen the way I hoped they happened. And the Holy Spirit met me with these great songs. And I want to encourage you to have a moment like that right now. And as much as those of us, because there's a lot of us, we've had those times, right? We've had those moments where you were there and you realize, okay, I would not wish this pain on anyone, but I wish everyone could experience what it's like to be in this pain and to know you're not alone. I wish everybody could have that moment. Perhaps this song can help you take a step in that direction. So I want to invite the worship band to come up. And as they do, I want to invite you to consider these things that Paul taught us, 
And I want you, when your broken goggle moments come, to be able to, if you do, to be able to heed the words of the great theologian, Dory the Fish. That when those moments come, what do we do? We just keep swimming. You're not alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are not alone. Thank you for the examples in your word where we see that Paul was not alone when things looked great. He was not alone when things looked horrible. Father, thank you for those examples in our own lives where we can look back and go, you were with us when things looked great. You were with, look us, with us when things didn't look great. Help us right now to have a moment, Father, where we engage you in this song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.